All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with co-hosts, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, we're going to be on limited time here today, Andrew. So let's get right into it. we got another ECHL coach. Yeah. Glad to have him on. We're excited to have a special guest, Derek Damon. So Derek's playing career can date back to his EJHL days and later committed to the University of Maine, where he attended from 2001 to 2006. Well, also making his quick pro debut in the AHL with the Lowell Lock Monsters at the end of the NCAA season. For the next two years, Derek played between the ECHL and AHL before taking his services overseas. From there, he played in various pro leagues, most notably in the Dell, the SM Liga, and Ebel, and more. He finally retired from playing in 2020. And once he retired from playing, he made the immediate jump into coaching. Um, and then in 2021, after just a year um, in the BCHL, he got the immediate jump to pro hockey as an assistant coach for the Iowa Heartlanders of the ECHL. And as of this season, Dad already got the promotion to yeah. head coach. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Derek Damon. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. You guys have a great podcast, and you guys have a lot of guys that have played in this game a long time. So it's nice to be on this podcast with you. Yeah, man, we're excited to have you on. So, Derek, obviously I want to start um, with your playing career before jumping into coach, coaching questions. Uh, you played some time in the uh, EJHL and eventually committed to the University of Maine. Kind of give us a background of, you know, your hockey uh, during your life then and then kind of what led your decision to the University of Maine. Yeah, it, you know, after my I finished up uh, playing high school hockey in Maine, um, I was choosing between uh, going to prep school uh, at either Avon Old Farms or playing uh, junior hockey. Um, and so it was a pretty easy decision for me and my family at the time. You know, prep school hockey would have cost us around $30,000 and junior hockey was at the time only about $3,500. So just made the decision easy for me and uh, allowed me to get right into to playing and, and just being focused on playing, uh, playing hockey. I was able to take one course at the university of New Hampshire where I was playing uh, junior hockey. So it allowed me to start in on my college education uh, while playing junior hockey. Um, so I did that for two years. I hadn't received my scholarship yet at the University of Maine. Um, I had some, you know, some offers from, you know, a couple of schools, Clarkson and, and Providence. But when Maine came calling, it was it was a no-brainer. I grew up 10 minutes away from them. And, uh, you know, it was a dream come true to, for me to be able to commit to playing at Maine and, and then play there for four years. So we've had on a lot of guests playing uh, uh, for Maine, uh, most notably our dear friend of ours, uh, one of the Capuano brothers. Uh, David, and, I'm very close with the Capuano family. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So we have yeah. uh, we we have Dave on quite regularly on our show. Uh, great, great guy. So during your um, NCAA days, who are some of your favorite line mates, or maybe a specific line that you played on? Uh, yeah, I would say probably my thought. Well, I mean, my freshman year, I was very fortunate um, to be able to play with Martin Korea. And Lucas Lawson, um, that was the line that I was on most notably with uh, for my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, I played with uh, Greg Moore and Todd Jackson, who were both really, really good players. Uh, Todd was a Hobie Baker finalist, or top 10 uh, in Hobie Baker uh, voting that year. And then Greg Moore had an incredible year, uh, incredible four years at Maine, uh, Hobie Baker finalist ended up playing pro and, and getting in the NHL. So, um, yeah, I, I, was, my time in Maine was, was awesome. I played with a lot of, a lot of good players. Um, you know, we had some really good teams, uh, proud that we were able to win a, a hockey East championship. 
be number one team in the country all four years during those four years. Uh, so we, we had a really good run there. Yeah. So what was that like during that championship run? I mean, you guys had a yeah. really, really good team that year. Yeah, we actually, uh, <laughs> you know, typical main style back in the day is, you know, we play our best hockey second half of the season coming down the stretch um, from January on. Uh, we really started to hit our, our stride and we, we ended up going on a stretch where we, we won uh, 17 games in a row and all of them were by one goal. And it just really prepared us for the stretch run, playing in some tight games down the stretch in the hockey's tournament and then in the NCAA tournament as well. Um, went all the way to the championship game, just weren't able to finish it off against Denver. They played a, a great game. It was, a, it was an incredible game back in 2004. Lost 1-0. Uh, our goalie, Jimmy Howard, probably one of the best goalies I've ever been a part, been with. Um, just his athleticism. He's a great person, great human being. Um, but he, he, he carried us, um, especially in that game, kept us in it. We had a six on three at the end of the game. We hit three posts, one crossbar, and we just weren't able to score and, um, you know, just came up just short. Yeah. So at the end of your uh, college days, you uh, signed your first pro contract uh, with Lowell in the AHL. Yeah. Talk yeah, a little no. bit about how that came about. Uh, and then the transition that you had to make as a player from college to now you're playing with grown men, taking care of families, that whole bit. Yeah, it, it's, it was, it was quite the whirlwind. We lost my senior year. We lost in the final four to Wisconsin out in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, in the semifinals. Um, and then the next thing, you know, your college career is done. And uh, now I'm looking to my agent, seeing what, the next step is, and he reached out a couple of days after we returned from uh, to Maine, and said, uh, "You know, Lowell, who was the uh, Carolina Hurricanes American Hockey League team, they were interested in me as for a PTO to finish out their season with." And for me, it was a no-brainer to be able to step in the American Hockey League and play. Um, so it was, it was, it was an exciting time, you know, to jump right into it, you know, and and me being a a coach now. I like to throw guys right into the fray, uh, jump right in, you know, so that you don't really have to think too much. You just go out there and play. And usually you play your best when that's happening. But yeah, we finished the season with them. Had a, uh, was able to play in three games with them and, and get a good dose of what pro hockey is, which led me into the, the next season, my rookie year. Yeah. So I'm curious, what, what was the biggest eye opener? And you could say this maybe <laughs> good into your first season now, on ice, but also off ice. Cause you know, you're coming from college, maybe you're finally a pro hockey player. There has yeah. to be some struggles, even as a coach, what you've seen, um, what, what, what are some of those biggest challenges off the ice as well? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's now it's instead of you're, you're all pulling on the same rope. I mean, in college hockey, you really get that camaraderie where you guys are playing for your college and the crest on the front. And now the challenges for me as a coach, and as a player is you, 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 this is your business. This is your job. Uh, it's your livelihood. For me, I have a wife and three kids um, and you got to put food on the table for your kids. And um, it's how you take care of yourself. And you see the guys that are dedicated to their craft. They make sure that they're taking care of themselves on and off the ice. Those are the guys that are successful. And it's just like any person in any other job. Uh, the, the harder you work and the more you take care of yourself and focus on your job, the better you're going to do. 
And uh, that was kind of a, an eye-opening experience for me because um, now I'm not playing for Maine hockey. I'm, I'm playing for trying to earn contracts and, and trying to play and, and earn a living. And um, it's, it's all on what I have to do. So you end up uh, having a couple seasons and playing in the East Coast and also the American League, I think, with um, Albany, uh, with Florida. Yep. Um, but then overseas, I think 2008, first in Sweden, you travel around uh, from there. How did you uh, acclimate to the European style of hockey? And what would you say your preferences now that you've had all this different experiences of international play? Yeah. Well, I mean, I played, so when I graduated from Maine, I was uh, 25 years old and um, I gave it a kick at the can. I played two years over here. I was, you know, Albany after Lowell, after that year, Lowell moved from Lowell, Massachusetts to Albany, New York. And so their affiliation was in Albany now with Carolina. Uh, and then their ECHL affiliate was the Florida Everblades. Um, so I, I was happy that I was staying within the organization. I um, was able to play two really good years. I had a couple of knee injuries both years that kept me out of action for six weeks and eight weeks, respectively. Um, and going into my third year, I was hoping to get a one-way contract with uh, Manitoba but at the last minute it fell through and, and this was uh, early July and my agent at the time, uh, my European agent had was doing some sniffing around in Europe to see what I would get, came up with a, an offer from a Finnish elite league team, um, which is, is a very good league. It's, it's one of the top leagues in the world. Um, you know, there's not a lot of imports in that league. So he came to me and he said, listen, uh, I got this offer for you. Would you want to go? And, you know, I talked to my family. I talked to my wife because my wife was still in school at the time. She's like, go uh, get, get started in Europe. Because uh, for me at that point, I was I was OK with not playing in an NHL regular season game. You know, I played in I went to training camp with the Islanders, played in an exhibition game. And for me, it was all about how can I maximize, um, you know, my time in pro hockey and, and play as long as I want. And, and for me, it was, it was, I had, I needed to make that jump to Europe. Um, and, and I'm happy I did, uh, going over to Finland for the first time, I had never been to Europe. Um, you know, <laughs> I was in the airport in, in Helsinki, Finland, waiting for my flight to Pori and I'm trying to charge my phone and computer at the time. And I'm like, why is this not going into the wall? <laughs> and I didn't realize that you needed converters. And this was back in 2008. And so, you know, obviously a lot's changed, but um, um, that was an eye-opening experience to me. I get to the place, half of my team didn't speak English. And so for me, it was just a, it was a really tough transition learning, you know, trying to learn the language and while also going out there and playing and trying to be successful. So during your career, you did serve as team captain more than one occasion for more than one club. I don't like for this question to sound too generic or broad because we know what leadership entails. We know what you need to yeah. do, but what was your specific job? What were the challenges for you, especially if you're on teams, maybe guys don't speak English. Cause I believe you were also a captain for one of the teams in Germany near the end of your uh, career, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So kind of talk about that and maybe what your role was as a captain. Yeah. Um, obviously you're, you're the liaison between the coaching staff and the team. Uh, you, you, you try to preach the message of the coaching staff, um, I, I was fortunate. I was able to play in a German speaking country for seven of my 12 years 
in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, all three in German-speaking parts of, the, those, of those countries. So I was able to learn the language, and my wife and I really wanted to make sure that we we took time to learn the language. We'd get tutors and you know become a part of the culture and the in the the towns or cities that we were living in. It's important because uh, then you endear yourself to the community, um, and then being able to to be a leader, name captain in Switzerland with my team, Denmark with my team, and then in Germany. It's an incredible um, honor, and I was, you know, I was proud to be able to represent my team in those capacities, and then also going out there and trying to produce at the same time. Yeah, and, and talking about producing, your last two years in the Dell Two League, you were more than a point per game player, and then you retired in 2020 after those two seasons. So, with how hot you were doing and everything, what was kind of going through your mind and your life during that time to hang up the skates? Kind of almost, yeah, almost prematurely. COVID, I imagine had something. Yeah, to do with I'm sure it. COVID too, but. Yeah, that was that was a difficult time. Um, going into that year, though, I had resigned myself to, and I'll tell you guys a quick story. Uh, going into my final regular season game, which ended up being my final game, I knew that it was the right time to to retire. And my wife and I, we had, you know, because we traveled a fair bit. My three kids were born in three different countries: Switzerland, Denmark, and Germany. Um, God bless my wife for, for yeah. <laughs> you know, we would travel over there early just so because you can't travel past a certain point of the pregnancy. So we'd get set up there and get set up with the doctors and you know, God bless her for what she's done. I mean, she's, she's an incredible support system for me. And um, I was lucky enough to play for as long as I could because of her, um, you know, and you need that support, but um, it, it's, it's funny. Like, you want to go out on your terms. And, you know, I played for a long time and I said, we said it, when, when is it going to be right to retire? And, and we both kind of agreed that, you know, it's better to go out when you feel like it's ready and, and not having somebody push you out the door. And, you know, I, I, I prided myself on the fact that I would go to work every day and, and work as hard as I could to be the best that I could to help the team win. And I did that from, day one till the day that I stopped. And, um, you know, it's funny, the last game of our season, we needed to win that to finish in the top four going into the playoffs. And we had to play the number one team, Frankfurt. And on, on my way, my, my wife and kids would usually come to the game, but she's like, you know what, we're going to stay and watch it from, you know, the computer and uh, we'll, we'll watch the playoff games. And uh, it was a sunny day. And I remember it distinctly. I was driving to the rink and, all of a sudden this incredible emotion came up and I, you know, I was like, I started crying on the way to the, the rink and I didn't know why. And, um, you know, I, I knew it was my last regular season game. No one knew I was retiring, but I knew it was, it was the, the finality was coming. Um, and I just got really emotional and, and I didn't understand why. And then we go out, we win the game in a shootout. I had two goals and an assist and I had the shootout winner. And it's just, it's, it's kind of, God works in mysterious ways and um, he knew and he wanted me to go out feeling, you know, because the game of hockey has given so much to me and my family. Um, you know, I, I was just incredibly thankful that I was able to go out like that. And then three days later, we were shut down due to COVID. Um, and, yeah. and I, but I was ready to move on. Yeah. Good story. So you waste no time. You end up uh, getting your first coaching gig. Um, in the uh, British Columbia League with yeah. the Silverbacks, serving as a player development coach. 
Um, how did you get that job? And uh, quick transition of now kind of dealing with with players, and in this case, dealing with the younger players. Yeah, um, I actually was offered the uh, sport director job for the team I retired, uh, Helbron, and it was a it was very tough to make this decision because my wife and I really love being in Europe, uh, but we knew the time was right to head back uh, to to North America because that's where our family's from, and um, I wanted to to try to get my feet wet in, you know, either coaching or, or management over here. Um, so we, we turned that down and, and a friend of mine who played at Maine, Bobby Stewart was the player, the uh, director of player relations for the Sam, salmon arm silverbacks. And he reached out and he said, Hey, we're looking for an assistant. Um, would you want to, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And it was able to get my feet wet. Unfortunately it was during the COVID year. We weren't able to play. Uh, we were only able to play in a, an exhibition tournament, but we practiced every day. And, and I was able to, you know, sink my teeth into coaching and see if it's something that I really enjoyed. And I did. Um, so, I'm, you know, I was able to move out to British Columbia for about eight months and I enjoyed my time there. Yeah. So then what's the story of you getting the immediate jump? Not too many guys go from their first job all the way up to assistant coach in, in the pros, the UCHL, because yeah. you ended up with uh, – um, the team that you're with now, the Iowa Heartlanders. So how did that happen? Yeah, so Jerry Fleming, uh, the the team was announced that they're going to have their expansion season last year. Uh, then they announced a couple weeks later that uh, Jerry Fleming would be the head coach. And and Jerry, I had put some feelers out there saying that I want I was interested in in coaching uh, in the pro ranks, and you know nothing seemed to happen. And then all of a sudden, uh, one day Jerry called me in the beginning of July, and he's like, hey. I just got the job as head coach in, in Iowa and, and I had played for Jerry when I was in Florida for two years. And he said, would you be interested? And I said, uh, yeah, let me talk to my wife, Andrea. And we talked about it and we knew it was a good decision. Uh, it was a good opportunity for us. And, you know, Iowa's an incredible place to live. It's a great family area. And we are right here where the university of Iowa is. So, you know, my wife's a nurse. <clears throat> She's able to work at the university of Iowa hospital. Uh, yeah, and, and so it was. It's a great opportunity, and and Jerry and I talk every day. Um, he's my mentor. He's somebody that I, I I was fortunate enough to be able to work under and learn so much. Um, I tell this to people that he was when I was playing. I said he was the best coach I ever played for, and you know I, he was, and he he's an incredible coach, and um, I was just fortunate enough to be able to work for him. And not. Uh, much longer, you get the head coaching job uh, moving on up from assistant to head coach, much like um, Talon with uh, Maine Mariners. Yeah, yep. Um, so now you're head coach. Let's talk some head coach questions here for you, coach. Sure. Um, so since Iowa is a new franchise, what are you doing to develop not only the game of hockey in the area, but developing the culture in the in the locker room for these players because as we all know that's important yeah no it's a great question um well you know first of all it, it starts uh, in iowa city before we, the heartlanders got here it wasn't much hockey uh, about 30 minutes up the road cedar rapids and the ushl they've been around a long time uh but here in this area specifically their hockey hasn't been that strong so for, for me, when I took this job, I, I want, and I have kids, all three kids play hockey. It's important that I uh, try to help 
grow the game here with at the grassroots level because I think that's only going to help the the area and I think it's going to help us with the Heartlanders grow. Um, it's just to create that buzz and enthusiasm at, at the youth hockey level. So, um, you know, I, I try to be an active member in, within the organization, the youth hockey organization. And then as far as growing, you know, our specific organization here, um, you know, Jerry started it last year with the type of players that we want to bring in. And I've tried to continue that growth by bringing in guys that are going to only help us get to the next level. And um, it, it takes time to build a, a, an organization from scratch. Um, but it's for me, it's been a very, very valuable learning experience these last uh, 19 months just to be able to, you know, I've been at the, the, the ground level growing this organization, building it. And, and now we're here and we're, we're, we're competing and we're just trying to grow each, uh, each day and, and get better every day that we get to the rink. So how's it been handling the pressure then? Cause just a few years ago, you were a player, you're just getting your feet wet. Your first, it was only one pro season as an assistant coach. And if people have listened to this podcast before or, or follow the ECHL, they know that the head coach is also the GM. Yeah. That has to be a lot of pressure. You're suddenly having to sign players and you got to put together the practice, be the head coach. How have you been able to handle that stress? And honestly, did you think you were ready for this? Yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, you know, I think you have to hire, you know, good people around you, surround yourself with good people. You know, I have two really good uh, assistant coaches here. I got, Joe Exter, who I know you guys spoke with. Yep. Um, I mean, that guy is, he's an incredible hockey mind. He's been doing this for 18 years. He's going to be a head coach one day. Um, and to be able to work with him every day is, you know, is a blessing. And then I've got another guy, Eric Michaud, who's our video coach and director of team services. He worked for the Maine Mariners the last couple of years. So he's got familiarity with the league and, and how it runs. Um, but yeah, like for me, I, I feel like it's like with anything, you, you never know you're ready until you get thrown into it and you get thrown into the fire and, and it's either sink or swim. And I, I learned a lot last year working with Jerry and Jerry gave me a lot of autonomy. He wanted me to get ready. He was kind of grooming me to take over for him when he was able to, to, to leave and, and move on. And, you know, we didn't expect that it would happen last summer, but you know, you never, it, Timing's everything. And I was in the right place at the right time. And I feel very fortunate to be in this position. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot and I, I'm continuing to learn every day. So as you know, in the East Coast League, um, it's a bit different than, say, the uh, American Hockey League in the fact that you've got to have your own contracted players for the East Coast League. But you also kind of dealt with um, it uh, could even be NHL players or AHL players on a two-way deal that are coming down to you. Yeah. And um, I don't, I don't know the uh, easier way to say it, but you know, say if you got a goalie coming down, you got to play that goalie. You got to yeah. play, you know, the affiliate guys and get them into whatever shape uh, that the affiliates want. How does that to manage that both personnel wise of the guys that might not think that they want to be there compared to the guys that are happy that are contracted just for your team. Is there ever sort of a, a, a weird balance between some of the players? Well, I, I'd say going back to your question uh, uh, earlier, where you, you said building the culture. Uh, if you have the right culture here, 
and you got the right guys in there, then, then everything will take care of itself in the locker room. And um, that's something that we really pride ourselves on is making sure that everybody comes in and feels a part of this team and is all pulling on the same rope together. Um, obviously this year, our record hasn't been as w- uh, good as what we wanted it to be. We've dealt with a lot of injuries, um, a lot of guys on IR and then a lot of uh, call-ups, but that's the nature of the business. Like, um, you know, th- that's why we're here and that's why it's such a great um, training ground for me as a coach is you get to wear so many hats. You get to see so many different perspectives and, and, you know, things that come up, nothing is fluid in this business. Everything is changing. And I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but the ECHL in, in our book stands for the ever changing hockey league, because it, it is, it's, it's ever changing and nothing is fluid. And, and that's where you get to really, um, you know, and, and for me to be the general manager and the head coach, it's how do you manage all these situations and, and keep everything running and, and moving in the right direction. Now, going along the lines of what my father was saying, other than the players that are coming down that are signed with an affiliate that may have an ELC deal with the NHL team, what about the ones, because we're we're from Tulsa, or we're living in Tulsa, so we watched Tulsa Oilers, and remember a few years ago they had made a championship run, and we had noticed right before the playoffs started, their AHL affiliate, San Antonio, um, started just pulling up every good player that we had. Obviously, for you, that's got to be frustrating. You've been building this team, you get to this point, and then all of a sudden, you're like having, I would imagine you're probably signing the NCAA free agents to kind of fill out the roster that you're being pulled up. Is that tough for you to deal with? Or is this kind of something like it's part of the gig? I don't even think about it, but that's got to be frustrating. It, it's part of the gig. And, you know, it, and I think that's why learning from Jerry last year, because um, Jerry coached in the American Hockey, he was the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers farm team, the Oklahoma City team for many years. And then, um, Bakersfield, he was able to really shed some light on it for me. Cause at the, at first when I came in and I was the assistant coach here last year, yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you've got your, your lineup ready and you got guys in certain spots. And then the next thing, you know, uh, your affiliates calling guys up and you're like, Oh man, this is tough, but that's what you're here for. We're trying to get guys to the next level. We're trying to get guys to the American Hockey League level so that they're one step away from their dream, which is the NHL. I'm here to win with the team we have here, but I'm also here to get guys to to the Iowa Wild so that when they go up to the Iowa Wild, they help them win. And if that's the case, then we all win. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's managing, you know, and it's never fluid. It's ever changing. And yeah, there's times where guys are called up after morning skate that you're expecting to be in the lineup tonight and boom, two guys are gone. And now you got to find two players and you're scrambling to find guys, you know, either in the SPHL or, you know, you're you're trying to make a trade to, to fill out your roster. And the other thing that uh, I've noticed in the past few years, when it does come to playoffs, it's the opposite happens. The American uh, League affiliate is out of their playoff run and your team is still in a playoff run. And then all of a sudden you're kind of cherry picking the better players. And that seemed to have happened uh, at least on a Tulsa run a few years ago where they didn't make it all the way. I think they made it to the conference finals, but they were playing teams that it, they weren't the same EA, you know, East Coast teams. They were all American League players. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, that's when the the American league guys come down here, they're impact players 
And obviously, if you can, if you're able to have, be successful, you need to have those guys down here because when they come down, they're impact players. Uh, there's a jump between this level and, and that level. And you see it, the Florida Everblades or Toledo Walleye last year, the two teams that were in the finals, they had a lot of American League guys down and, you know, they, they were able to have their run. But for us, and, and this is why being in the organization with the Minnesota Wild and the Iowa Wild is there we all we're, we're basically a triangle uh where minneapolis is des moines iowa and coralville uh, that's where we are and we're a triangle and we're a family and we we want to grow the game you know and keep keep growing our our affiliation so that we have a strong affiliation and then at the same time joe and i and eric are trying to grow our organization here and build the 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 strongest echl team that we can so that if we do lose guys <clears throat> to the American League, it's not a big blow uh, that we have depth in, in our organization. So uh, another coaching question here. And of course, it depends on the player. Uh, so I, you know, given that fact, but you get a player and you know the player could be doing uh, a little bit better or you want them to fix some things in their game. Um, you want to give them some autonomy to work it out. But at some point, you're going to have to kind of call it and say, you know, we've given you the, the chance. We've given you the time. Uh, you're not making the changes we're looking for. When does that happen? And again, I know that's based on a player, but I'm sure you've had to do that. And it's a tough conversation, but you do it. It's part of the gig. But can you talk a little bit about that situation and how you handle it? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it is difficult because. Um, you know, it's hard to have tough conversations uh, when you have to tell a guy that you're releasing him and that now he's got to find another team or he's potentially going down to the SPHL. That's not easy conversations to have. But at the same time, this is part of the business and we have to do what's best for the organization. And for, for us, it's important that we are constantly communicating with our players so that everybody knows where they stand and everybody knows what they have to do to be successful. And, you know, I think having an open door policy and being communicating with these guys almost on a daily basis is, is important because it, it, I played and whenever you, as a player, you don't know where you stand with the coach. It's tough to play because then your mind's not in the right place. Um, so, and that's something that we don't want. Uh, and that's something that we work hard to try to make sure that we don't do as coaches and uh, so that there's no gray area. And when we tell these, when we bring these guys in and tell, we have frank conversations with them, we tell them where they need to get better, what they need to do. And we show them video so that they see it. And, you know, it's not something that we're just spitballing out of the air. So I'll let you uh, brag on your players a little bit here uh, to finish up before we hit uh, lightning round questions. So East Coast League has changed quite a bit. It's a faster league. It's a, it's, it's a tougher league, uh, I think, than what it used to be even 15 years ago. But I've noticed it's the preparation of the players. I mean, these guys are coming uh, prepared. They're eating right. They're working yeah. out. I mean, we, we talked to some of the vets. I'm 54, and I even we talked <clears> to some <throat> of the players older than me, and, you know, they were having, you know, a case of beer after practice. You know what I mean? And that's just unheard of today. These guys yeah. are – are, are pros and they they act like it. So brag a little bit about your players and the preparation that they do for the game. Yeah, it's 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 a 24 hour job, you know, and and 
And it goes back to what I said earlier. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Chris Bennett, he was on our team last year. He was the rookie of the year in the ECHL. Now he's on a, a Lugano team in Switzerland. They're in the playoffs, a Swiss A-League team, a team that's a storied franchise. And he's, he's, he's really successful. He's playing on the first line after being in the ECHL last year. Chris Bennett dedicates himself to his craft. Uh, he's w- watching what he eats all day long. He's getting his proper rest and, and sleep. And when he's here at the rink, he's doing whatever he can to make sure he's getting better, whether it's in the gym, staying on the ice, making sure he's working on little things like a shot, uh, or just little areas of his game that he thinks he needs to improve. That's what you see out of these guys nowadays, uh, even compared to when I played in the ECHL back in 2006, 2007. You know, guys would – I was playing in Florida. Guys would – you know, they'd show up. They'd go – they'd do their work, but then they're out of there, go play golf, go to the bar, you know, sit at a bar all day, drink beer, and, and watch, you know, football or something. It's not like that. The game is – it's it's too hard and and you see at the competition level even at this level it's just you you have guys that are just dying to get to this league and you know if you're not willing to put in the time and dedicate to to your your craft and your job you're going to be gone it's just too competitive nowadays so before we do go in lightning round do have just one more question for you maybe hopefully not putting you on the spot but do we know what's next for you after the season? I know it's not your focus, but are you still signed to Iowa or can you yeah. not sign right now? Yeah, yeah, no, I am signed. To, I have a, I have another year left on my deal, and I hope to, to be here for a little while. I, we like it here. We want to see this organization grow and, and one day win a, a Kelly Cup here. Um, you know, it's a beautiful facility that we were able to play in, Extreme Arena here in, in Coralville. Um. My family is is comfortable here, and but uh, like we we do know with uh, with the the game of hockey is it it's ever changing, and you you never know. You have to be ready, and and luckily my wife uh, is so supportive in that nature. We're going to go on to the lightning round. So a name, a place. If you've got a story, I mean the time's yours. But we're going to try to hit you with these crazy questions. Sure. All right. I'll, I'll start first. This is going to be anywhere from. Uh, your uh, main, uh, your University of Maine days on. Yep. Favorite place to live during your pro career? Oh, Switzerland. Switzerland. What What was the craziest or most loyal fan base you played for? Um. Well, it's you know University of Maine is uh, you got some real loyal fans. We're the you know the the pride of the state state of Maine. Um. There's some loyal fans over in, in Europe. Uh, I'd say the best fans in pro hockey would probably be in Germany. I mean, if you guys have ever seen a, a European foot, uh, soccer game, the German fans are, are absolutely nuts and they're crazy. And it's the same in hockey. Toughest goalie to score against. Oof. Um, well, in practice, it was Jimmy Howard. Uh, I, I was fortunate to play some good goalies at, at the University of Maine. Uh, Jimmy Howard, uh, Ben Bishop were two of our goalies. Um, yeah, I'd say probably Jimmy Howard in practice. Strictly speaking on your pro career, so after your college days, which arena had the worst ice conditions? Yeah, especially in Europe. Oh, you always hear boy. Florida Everblades is bad. We heard Florida is normally pretty terrible. 
Um, Florida wasn't as bad as some of the European teams that I played against. Uh, I'd have to say when I was playing in the second league in Switzerland, uh, a couple of teams, like one team, uh, they're, they're in southern Switzerland. It's this. Uh, their rank, when you were skating in warm-ups, you are either going uphill or downhill. Like there's a little bit of slant and just because it was such an old building. It was, it was nuts. You would feel it when you're going uphill. Yeah. Um, maybe one or two coaches that you maybe model your coaching style based on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, Jerry, as I've talked about, you know, he's, he's not only my mentor, but he's one of my closest friends. I try to model myself after him. I mean, he's been coaching for uh, almost 30 years, has almost a thousand wins in, in pro hockey. He's an incredible man. He's an incredible coach. Uh, and then the late, great Sean Walsh that was at Maine, University of Maine for many years before he passed. You know, I grew up uh, watching the Black Bears when I was a kid and spent a lot of time around Coach Walsh. And he was an incredible motivator. And, you know, I think that's why they were so successful. Was there ever a rat in your career? Anybody that got under your skin or that always came at you, but maybe didn't want to fight you, but was going to annoy you? Anybody that you hated? <laughs> um, yeah, there were some, some, some players, different players. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was in the American League, I played against Brad Marchand and, you know, everything's true about him. He, he, he knew how to get under opponent's skin and he still does it, but he makes a lot more money than a lot of us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's had an incredible career. Um, there was, I played against Chris Collins at Boston college for four years. And he and I would always seem to get under each other's skins when we were on the ice playing at Maine and, or, and he was at Boston college. So, you know, I, I'd say him. In your playing career, what's the, uh, the greatest moment that you, that would come oh, to mind? Oh gosh. Um, I would have to say number one would be when I, stepped out onto the ice for my first game at the Alphonse Arena at the University of Maine. Um, obviously winning a, a hockey's championship was an incredible feeling in 2004, triple overtime. But that was the first moment where I was like, wow, this is what I dreamed about doing. And to be able to step out as a black bear, it was a pretty cool experience. Coach, we can't thank you enough for your time. We'll say a quick goodbye off air, but uh, on air, we can't thank you enough. We wish you um uh, the best of luck in the uh, end of this season, but particularly gearing up towards next season. And, and uh, that's going to be fun to watch uh, your team. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. And you guys did an outstanding job and it's, it was easy to talk to you guys. Another head coach. Yes. On the podcast. What a great guy. Yeah. And the only his third year into coaching, man, he's already a head coach. I mean, I think he's going to go far in his career, man. He's, he's, he's the real deal. He really lit it up, uh, particularly in the, uh, the, the Del two over there for sure. He lit it up at university of Maine. Yeah. I mean, even so. the ECHL, he was doing really well. It's just, I don't think that they pay enough here, man. Why not take your services overseas and get well, paid? And, and again, that's why we have on so many players that have played in, in, in Europe and UK. Uh, cause you got to go, you know, to provide for families and there's good deals as we know in the KHL and in, in Austria and UK better than grinding it out in the jungle. And, you know, not to diss ECHL fans or anything, but it's like American fans normally aren't as loyal as the ones overseas. So I'd imagine maybe it's a little bit more fun to play. Well, it's going to be play, interesting because you know? it's going to be interesting because again, Iowa's a new franchise, right? 
And, you know, yeah, you barely knew that they were a team. I didn't when we talked to Joe. I, yeah. I, cause we, we didn't really have gone to too many um, Tulsa games this, games this year. It's just, we haven't worked it out, but yeah, but boy, getting hockey there in Iowa is going to be fantastic. Absolutely. And it looks like they've got uh, a good solid franchise uh, structure there. So yeah, that's going to be great. And of course he's, he's uh, uh, you know, just got done playing. So he's, yeah, he he knows what's going on. So it's going to be fun to follow uh, Derek's career. And uh, we want to thank everybody and ask everybody, if you haven't hit that subscribe button to whatever app you're listening to our podcast, so you'll get it fresh when it comes out. And that also helps us out with uh, our our parent company yeah. and, and with uh, even with stats and my dad's job uh, this weekend, you guys are all going to hear it on on record that my dad's going to text Dave Capuano to get him back on for a pre playoff Bruins um, breakdown because we always do that, especially come playoff time. So we'll have some uh, bonus episodes because we're actually still on track for every Friday to have a guest. So we'll have a bonus episode here and there prepping for yeah. hopefully what is the Bruins big last Let's not, run for let's, the next few yeah, years. let's not let's not jinx them, but yeah, they're they're doing great. We'll talk some we'll blue hockey. Anyway, thank you all very much. Thank we'll you. catch you next week.